0: Hello, and welcome back to On The Spot with Dr. Michael Walker. I am excited to be here with you. I want to pick up and continue in some of our discussion and focus on family and marriage. And I want to talk a little bit about what happens when people cite reasons for divorce. In fact, I want to look at this through a framing question. Why do people choose divorce? I wanna give you some top reasons that I've been able to research, just looking at what leading attorneys have stated, looking at what therapists and psychologists uh, have stated, looking at what marriage counselors uh, have noted, as well as looking at what uh, ministers uh, of the cloth have noted, and really draw our attention to some of the top reasons people choose Uh, As citations for divorce now allow me to say this when doing any serious research on the topic of divorce scholars that is I'm talking about scholars and researchers sociologists philosophers those types when you talk about divorce and how in in the context of how people relate with, with one another and how they relate to each other in a marriage there really is no way to honestly with a really sound and strong straight face conclude here are the top, you know, eight reasons, five reasons, six reasons, etc. while why people get divorced. I do know that, and you are probably aware that there are all sorts of headlines out there that title themselves that way. Some of that's uh, for the purpose of getting your attention, some readers' attention, others use it for other reasons. But quite frankly, in all honesty, it's really difficult to come up with a top 10 list or a top three list, mainly because when people talk about why they chose to divorce, generally they share that information in surveys or interviews and in time, and when doing it in surveys, particularly in large part in surveys, they do not provide the context or the background for the reason they are citing. So while we could take the reasons and quantify them on a percentage basis, basis and say, you know, X percent of persons surveyed, cited A, the truth is it's really hard to, peel the layers back without the context. So what I've done uh, to, to just to talk about this from a fr- and through the framing question of, of framing question of why do people choose divorce is I've taken a step back to really look at some of the citations that people use. So as I give these to you, they are actually not in any particular order and they are not ranked. These are just the reasons that people commonly use or cite when referring to why they chose to divorce their spouse. So let me give some of them to you. Uh, number one, lack of compatibility. This is often cited and when lack of com- a compatibility is a, is it, um, cited, generally somebody is speaking to reaching the point of where he or she no longer believed that his or her interests aligned to the interests of their spouse. Basically, someone in the marriage believes they no longer get along or are going in the same direction as their spouse. And when this occurs, someone starts to cite and state, Hey, we're no longer, Compatible. Number two, falling out of love. We hear this one quite often. You've probably heard of this one. I know I've heard of it, but what does it what does it really mean when you're talking to folks who and listening to folks who've actually experienced a divorce? Well, it, it basically means one person uh, in the marriage believe that he or she no longer loved their spouse. Tina Turner asked, what's love got to do with it? I'll tell you a lot. And when one or more persons in a marriage reaches the point of believing, I don't love this person anymore. That becomes a reason to pursue a divorce. Number three, irreconcilable differences. Now this is a legal term, but it functions as a catch all term. It, it It's out there sort of as a bucket and it basically catches whatever one or more parties in the marriage believes that has caused them to reach a point of, of, of no return. And that no return is it is not possible for me and this person to reconcile or reach any form of reconciliation in this marriage. The hope to reconcile does not exist. The possibility to reconcile does not exist. Number four, money, financial problems. We're talking now about financial problems or different money styles. Everybody has a money style, meaning the way a person uses money, that's their money style, the way they believe money functions. And then how that belief materializes in their use of money is what adds color and picture to what their style is as it pertains to money. So everybody has a money style, and you we possess these money styles before we get married. Well, when when divorced persons reflect upon reasons why they divorced and they cite money, this has a lot to do with the impact of having different views on how money is used in a marriage. There is a strong disagreement between the husband or the wife where money is concerned. They have a either different money styles or B, they have different views on how money is to function in their marriage. And so money can develop the type of traction in a marriage where it becomes a problem. And when it becomes a problem, it is almost uh, always tied to a differing uh, of opinion, a differing of view, on how money functions and how money is to be used and to some extent how money is obtained and levels of acquisition as it pertains to their marriage number five lack of communication now this is not about the inability to speak I, I know that uh, communication even when doing Uh, premarital enrichment communication tends to be one of those topics that young prenups and when i say young i'm not really referring to uh, them in terms of age but in terms that they have not actually engaged in a marriage typically when the young prenups are, uh, are looking to get married Uh, communication is one of those areas during their premarital enrichment or if they choose to go to premarital counseling that they're quite looking forward to getting into because most of us have been led uh, or many of us not let's not say most many of many of us even some of us or many of us have been led to think and believe that hey communication is a real problem in marriages and it creates all types of havoc well generally when people divorce as um a point of fact and they cite lack of communication it really has a lot to do with the husband or wife um, previous communication style it has a really much to do with experience a, experiencing a constant state of arguing uh, a constant state of dishonesty and betrayal avoidance and the crucial one stonewalling There are those who who, for whatever reason, prefer to when they don't when they're not getting their way, when things are not going the way they wanted to go, when they don't want to talk uh, about it, they will just simply shut down, won't talk to you, walk around the house all day, all week, go a week, two, three, four, whatever uh, days not talking. That's that's something we call stonewalling. Well, those types of things, when exercised frequently in a marriage creates. Uh, gaps in the marriage to the degree that for some it reaches a point where they say, look, I'm just tired of this and it's time for me to be out. Uh, Number six, lack of preparation. Now, this has to do with a husband or wife who's had an opportunity to reflect back on where he or she began prior to marriage. And generally what they're talking about is not their educational attainment. They're not talking about their career advancement. They're not even talking about parenting. What they're really uh, most uh, uh, um, often referring to is they're referring to uh, not having enough understanding about the different phases of marriage before they say I do. So in other words, before I went down the aisle, before I stood on the white sandy beach, before I went down to the justice of the peace, before we had whatever kind of, you know, ceremony we had, we, we had, I honestly didn't understand. I certainly did not know about the different phases of a marriage. Marriages go through phases. Marriages have cycles. Well, they're, they're kind of going up, 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 peaking, coming down, up, 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 peaking, coming down. There's cycles in marriages, and and many people cite that when uh, when they had a chance to reflect upon it after their divorce, they realized, you know what, I wasn't prepared for that. In fact, I, I've even read some reports where folks cited, I don't ever recall it being touched on even in our premarital enrichment and or premarital counseling, because the truth is marriage does have cycles and some people are not prepared for the different cycles of a marriage. Now, let me give you number seven, constant conflict. This has to do with being in a marriage where the husband and wife are constantly fighting with one another. Enormous, and I do mean enormous amounts of time and energy are expended on fighting and disagreeing with one another to the point where the marriage becomes toxic and unhealthy. They spend all sorts of time fussing and fighting. That's what it boils down to. And somebody decides enough is enough. I'm just tapping out. I'm done. I've got to get some peace of mind. Number eight. Infidelity. While somebody might hear me say that term and say, yeah, that's an obvious, it's actually not a, as much of an obvious as we think. In fact, this is actually quite complex because infidelity can do two things in a marriage. It can serve as a reason for divorce, and then for the one who's experiencing the infidelity, it can also um, be the kind of things that force that person uh, into a space where they're now dealing with a barrier that prevents them from getting a divorce. While I'm not talking about the barriers in this session, I do want you to know that there are barriers that, that, that keep some folks in marriages that are unhealthy, that are, that are, that are toxic, uh, that are filled at all sites of conflict. And it's really because of a barrier that's holding them there. And it's the kind of barrier that they're not quite ready to simply push over and topple. So therefore, infidelity really is a complex issue, but this largely has to do with betrayal. It is the realization of a spouse who has violated the trust factor in the marriage and has broken the spouse's heart. It is the full reconciliation of what do I do now that i know about this and my heart is cut to the quick what do i do and it is not as easy as folks on the sidelines and folks who are not in that marriage might want it to be it is quite complicated it is quite complex and it is an emotional and i do mean an emotional nightmare Number eight, number nine, excuse me, getting married too young. Now we've heard this cited before. Listen, I got married first time or whatever. I was just too young. This doesn't, this truly does occur where the two people who got married, they really were too young, but let's not paint young adults who get married with a broad brush because this really doesn't apply to all persons who engaged in a marriage young and ended up divorced. When this reason decided for divorce, the husband or the wife typically is referring to a lack of preparation for the marriage. In other words, I wasn't really prepared to be married at that age or I wasn't mature enough to be married at the age in which I said I do. Number 10, abuse. Now, there are four forms I'm talking about here, physical, emotional, uh, verbal, and fiduciary. No form of abuse can be forever tolerated in a marriage. Sooner or later, the abused party, the injured party is going to reach the point of enough is enough. Abuse will destroy a marriage. Number 11, addiction. That is in the form of alcohol, drugs, sex, gambling, and shopping. Addictions create stress, the kind of stress that destroys a marriage. It takes significant, and I do mean significant amounts of patience, time, energy, and effort to remain in a marriage with an addict. When this reason is cited, by a husband or wife, it typically refers to a loss of energy to remain in a marriage to an addict. 12, unrealistic expectations. This occurs more than we realize. No person marries another person or individual without holding expectations for their spouse. The question becomes, Are the expectations realistic? Realistic expectations has everything to do with what can actually be achieved by your spouse. In other words, when someone cites, I was in a marriage where I was held to unrealistic expectation, it generally is associated with the husband or wife believing their spouse set expectations upon them they could not satisfied 13 conflict of intrusion by in-laws. Basically this has to do with in-laws who overstep their role and insert themselves into the marriage. This can create all types of chaos. It can create all types of havoc. It can create all types of stress. Why? because the in-laws do not belong in the marriage. That's like first and foremost. Additionally, when in-laws decide to create conflict for the marriage, this now gets to the point to where uh, the spouse who's on the receiving end of this has to make a decision. And for some, they, they literally decide, you know what? I know what I'm going to have to do. I'm sick of dealing with you and your family. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to divorce you and let you go on back over there to your people. This happens quite often and there, there can't be enough said about keeping in laws in their proper place as it pertains to a marriage that's trying to be successful. Number 14 loss of identity. Now, This has to do with when an individual in the marriage believes the marriage itself has so consumed them that they no longer know who they are. And that can create such a downward uh, freefall for the person who slips into that state of belief that it ultimately can lead them to believing that it's just time for me to get out of this marriage because so long as I'm in it, I do not know who I am. Uh, Number 15, mental or physical illness. Now, mental or physical illness can fall upon anybody, but when it happens in a marriage, particularly when the spouse has to become an, an immediate and continual caregiver where life is now interrupted and begins to revolve around the illness. For some, it's just too much. In fact, They don't see their lives going that way. They feel cheated. They feel like this is just too much. And for them, it's an exit ramp. It's time to call it quits. Number 16 weight gain. This basically means you are no longer the person that looks good to me. And I have reached a point to where your looks is enough for me to exit out of this marriage. No matter how we feel about that, no matter how you think about that personally, there are persons who do hold those sentiments. And then finally, uh, unwilling to work on the marriage. This essentially means, um, someone is saying I was in a marriage to a person who I believe no longer cared about the marriage. These are some of the top reasons that are cited when looking at what, um, Therapists and counselors and attorneys and scholars have been able to to unearth when dealing with persons who uh, have experienced a, a divorce. So I ask a question: Are there any practical, moral, and spiritual principles that might help someone avoid a divorce? Sure, there are. Let me give you five real quick. Number one: marry a person that fits you. I know that sounds simple. I know it seems straightforward and it is what it is. Marry a person that fits you, a person who honors you, a person who treats you well, a person who likes you and vice versa. Number two, marry a person you love and a person that loves you back. If you do not love the person, don't marry him. If the person does not love you, don't marry that person. Make sure you marry the person that you love and that loves you back. Number three, be honest. Make a commitment to always be honest with your spouse. I know that can be frightening. Um, I don't take that lightly, but make a commitment the type of commitment you will not waver upon to be honest with your spouse. Number four, commit to being the best version and bringing the best version of yourself to the marriage. No one, and I do stress this, no one wants to be married to the worst version of their spouse. Anyone working with any modicum of a sane position in the marriage, wants to be married to the best version of their spouse. So commit to bringing the best version of you to the marriage. This means commit to constantly being focused and committed to improving you, improving your character. Improving the content of your character, improving your thought life, improving the way you love your spouse, improving the way you care for your spouse, improving the way you treat your spouse, improving who you are. Bring the best version of you to the marriage. And then finally, allow your spouse to be human. The truth is you married a human being a person with a broad range of emotions, a person who's full of life, a person who's dynamic, a person who can be wounded, a person who can have joy, a person who can have sadness, a person who's sometime up, who's sometime down, a person who's evolving, a person who's growing, a person who makes mistakes, a person who can be wrong. So allow Your spouse to be human. Well, I, as always, certainly enjoy the time that I have with you. And until I get a chance to talk with you again, I'll see you round like a donut.